Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Galactic Ambition, a Star Wars Unlimited podcast, part of the Main Deck Podcast family. I'm Dan. And I'm Jason. And I know I'm wearing flamingos today, but it's really cold even in Florida today. Yeah, it's been, I mean, the weather's been wild, huh? Yeah, um, tomorrow it's going to get up to about 80, and then this weekend it's going to be the, the low for us in Florida. And I know to you this is going to be like, ugh, whatever, but the low for Saturday night's supposed to be 28, which for yeah. us is like <laughs> catastrophically unheard of. Like they're battening down the hatches of buying water and everything else. Like I'm like, guys, it's going to be like 70 by the time you wake up. Yeah, I've, uh, I you know, I'm in the upper Midwest and it's been cold. I, it's not like I like it, but um, the entire town infrastructure didn't shut down or anything. We're very prepared for this kind of thing in general. So, um, yeah, we, we I'm sorry started. for you, though. Uh, I'll be OK. I'm excited. I like cold, like relatively speaking. Right. I say I like cold and then I have not been in real cold. Yeah, you like when it's a little chilly and you maybe have to put a you maybe have to put like a sweatshirt on or something. That's Florida that's what it is to us when it like 28 for like two months and we're getting near the end already. It's kind of wild. I'm very disappointed. I'm mad that my AC bill is going to go back up. That's, that's uh, the worst. But other than that, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I just decided to go with flamingos today to kind of keep myself you know, kind of tropical, even though it's getting really cold down here, kind of, you know, keep that summertime feeling going all year long for everybody. I figured everyone would appreciate nice. that. Yeah. I put on, I just put on my signature, um, cardigan kind of look, oh, you, you just know, look comfortable. I, I feel like, I feel like it's like a comfortable, but also I, I kind of feel like it's this one in particular. I feel like a college professor wearing this or something. Oh. It, feel, it feels kind of academic to me. I don't know. Does that come across at all? I don't, I'm not going to say academic. I was going to say more like and don't take this the wrong way. Elderly. Say, and then uh, homely. Like you look. Homely. You, not that. Look, not elderly. Come on now. Elderly. Homely. Like homely. Like you're, or you're approachable. Like it's like welcoming. Okay. There we go. That's a better word. All right. All right. I, know, I like that. I was, like, I was like scraping my brain there for a second trying to figure that out. I'm like, oh, that's not going to sound great. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> speaking, speaking of approachable and welcoming. Um. So in Star Wars news, since we last did this podcast, Jason, I, if you caught the news, they announced the a new movie added to the docket of movies that we may or may not actually see, which was The Mandalorian and Grogu. So put it on the list of things we may actually get and see. Maybe. Yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> that list is growing. Yeah, I, I know, Jason, you were trying to you're trying to slowly kind of catch up on some of your like D plus star Wars experience. Mm -hmm. Have you, are you caught up on the Mandalorian? I am caught up on Mandalorian. I actually finished that on my day off last week. Awesome. I'm yeah, pumped I'm, about this. I'm really excited. But again, um, as with a lot of projects that get announced, especially in the movie sphere, it's like, well, I'll see it when I believe it. Yeah. You believe it, believe you, it when I see it. Yeah, <laughs> whichever way, it. it's fine. I don't know. I wish sure. I could see it when I believed it because I'd be watching it right now. Then true. Well, if you close that's your eyes, I have belief. Yep. Yep. Yeah. See? Yeah. That's that's exciting. I, you know, the thing about Unlimited that's kind of cool is just that we are living in this time now when Star Wars is getting frequent shows and movies. Well, alleged movies <laughs> are yeah. are coming. Um and. You know, one thing I'm just excited for, Jason, is 
how the existence of these continued franchise expanding movies will not only expand what we get to see in the card game, but will continue to be opportunities for, as we said in episode one, like marketing the game, but also just like continuing to get people interested in potentially playing Star Wars Unlimited. They might, you know, eventually they're pumped about Star Wars, eventually see like, oh, you know, here's a Grogu card. I wonder how to get that. And then they can join the game whenever we have a Grogu card. Yeah. And and I think what's really most exciting about all that is in this kind of, I wouldn't say a renaissance, but it's definitely been over the past few years, this kind of like concerted push to get it to uh, back into, I guess, more eyes, a new generation of people. And that's also in that same generation, it's a new generation of people playing trading card games and and looking for other things to do and hobbies. So it's really exciting that it's new content that um, it's going to be to new eyes. That's going to be a really nice crossover. And even for me, who's, you know, many, many years behind, it's still really exciting to have all this content out there. It shows that there's a lot of health in the IP and in turn, it should be relate and turn into a lot of uh, health for the uh, game itself. And just like for me personally, I'm, I'm a, so for our audience, Star Wars fans come in many different stripes uh, and, and, take sides pretty dramatically in certain sorts of debates. Um, I am a generalist. I am a, I, if it has the star Wars label on it and then doesn't have the words holiday special afterwards, I love it. <laughs> um, there's, there's, there's an exception to everything. Uh, but I am a, yes, I'm a, I'm a prequel fan. I'm a sequel fan. I'm a D plus fan. I, I enjoyed Obi-Wan. I enjoy animated. I enjoyed, I enjoyed Mando season three and book of Boba Fett. And all of those are hot takes to someone out there. Um, but so I like, they could just announce basically anything that said star Wars on it's a new star Wars movie of blank. And I'd be like, yeah, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. See, so as I get into it, I know my taste for like other media. I'm definitely going to be somebody who I know what I like. and I'm very opinionated. Um, like in other fandoms, I won't get into them here. Um, I have specific, you know, there's things I like and there's things I, um, it's like, okay, I'll give you an analogy. My younger brother, when we used, I'm one of 12. So we had a big old family, uh, 10 boys, two girls. And one of my younger brothers, when we get dinner, we didn't have all these portions, right? It'd be a big old plate of spaghetti and you'd have green beans. And if your green beans touch the spaghetti, he wouldn't eat. That's like (laughs) my media consumption. I like what I like and that's it. Like, don't give me this other stuff. I want what I want. So um, I, I'm, I, as, as I form more of an opinion um, in the space, I, I think I, I know in the direction I'm heading, um, but it's exciting to have all this content for me to ingest, even from the years back and then more to come going forward. So, so just so the audience can know, you know, whose side they're going to be on, on our great debates, where, where are your opinions heading on some of the, some of the controversial um, shows and movies. So, if, so since I'm, I haven't went through all the movies yet, I'm st- so I've started okay. with a lot of like the Disney Plus program because it's easier for me to have access to right now. Okay. Um, just knowing what I know based off of my like for other IP, I've always been a big. I'm a big villain guy. I, I always I always find the sa- the reason to side with the villain outside of, you know, like mass, like 
you know, genocide or something or something like that. But I always try to look for that side where it's like, that's, that's reasonable, you know? So I, I, I think that generates I mean, mass a genocide in Star Wars is, is like pretty frequent actually. <laughs> yeah. But there's oh. also, I guess, mm, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to speak out of turn because I don't want to offend somebody because you know, heaven forbid. Right. Um, oh. But when it comes to like uh, politicking and stuff like that, I always tend to like the side of, where it's shades of gray to bad. And I enjoy that kind of storyline versus, you know, um, kind of like the tried and true boy blue kind of good guy stuff. Yeah. If yeah. that makes more sense. Yeah. So you're, so you were like, well, you know what? Palpatine might've been right. Actually. You're not going to put words in my mouth tonight. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what is that? What is that? What does that um, lead you to enjoying more or less than anything? As in what, like in the like which the show. which shows, which movies, like kind of what's your what what what's hit for you and what's so been like? Yeah, it wasn't the my bit, favorite. The, my favorite right now has been Andor, actually. Well, um, yeah, okay, uh, because Great choice. So the pro, the so I'm a big like my kind of like Western kind of style kind of things in general, like kind of that feeling of like that the- thematic. So immediately I'm dialed in, like for stuff like that. So I I ingest it. I loved it. So really happy for that. I think that if I were to say like my excitement for everything so far, I would say that um, Mando was pretty good, but I liked Andor the most so far. Okay. Was there anything that you watched and you felt like, I I mean, I know there's still a bunch to watch and you'll certainly have some experiences eventually, but anything you watched and you thought, yeah, like I don't, it was fine, but. I don't really um, care for not, it. Not really, only because I'm still trying to form an opinion of everything as a whole. Okay. When, when, I, when I watch some of this stuff, I'm taking it into context. That I'm going to watch more that relates to it. So if I'm yeah. watching something that's a bite of a larger saga, larger saga or larger larger scheme, I, can't, I, I don't like to form an opinion because I feel it's uninformed. I, yeah, I think that's fair. There's, there's a couple different ways people look at things. I mean, like you, you absolutely can, and it's valid to look at like, you know, one, one, season of something or one episode of something even and like judge it based on that completed project like that it's alone like it's it's valid to have the opinion like this should stand on its own and if it doesn't it's missing things and i think it's also valid to look at that at every movie every season of the show as part of the wider story and think well you know they didn't really go into detail about these things that i thought were kind of weird but that's just opening the door for the future like show that will kind of explain what's going on there and everything. Um, I think they're both reasonable approaches. Yeah, I, I agree. I just, uh, I, I just am always been of the mindset is I like to see it all. I'm, I'm somebody yeah. that when I watch a show, for example, like let's say something's ongoing, I wait till the season's done and then I watch it all. I don't watch the new episode each week. So I kind of take that mentality and apply it to how I consume the media as well as a whole. So I, I think get the whole picture. I think a really good example of that is how Mandalorian. Um, and I'm going to this. I guess this is spoilers if you haven't watched the most recent two seasons or something. I'm just very light, briefly touch on things. But like how Mandalorian is setting up with particular characters and, and concepts that rise of the first order, kind of like opening the door. I really liked in part. I think it wasn't everyone's favorite episode, but the one where they went into Dr. Pershing 
and his experience, the, the, the cloning guy who, and his experience with the new Republic and kind of just showing like how, you know, like it, it, it really, sets up the sequel trilogy a little more in a way that I think a lot of people were, you know, understandably a little jarred we're like, Oh, I, where these guys come from? What, like, why do they have a planet that destroys planets? And, (laughs) and then all the, you know, all the stuff that followed, but like, um, I always saw that kind of like we're saying, like as an opportunity to be like, well, you know, I get it, but I also am excited just to see them kind of build that out. And I like seeing these kind of first, you know, these starting to really build out. Here's, here's how the new Republic is. And like, it's not good. It's not, it's not bad, but it's not good. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's it, for somebody in my level of experience with um, the genre itself or the, the IP itself, um, it's been exciting to learn about these new things, but then slowly pulling the veil back. And for me, it's like, I don't know anything from anything. I'm like, oh man, what the heck's going on? But it's cool to be, it's, it's really exciting. Actually, it's, yeah. it's super weird because, um, I haven't experienced that in a while with a lot of media and a lot of shows. So it's kind of nice to have something to look forward to in this kind of homework assignment I've had. Yeah. For myself. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's how I feel about Star Wars in general right now. That's I'm, I'm living like. So one day, a couple, like a week ago or something, I just like was sitting there like shower thoughts. I don't think it was in the shower, but I was just musing about things. I was like, it was just kind of like I, I, I took a moment and was like, I think I've been taking for granted, not like explicitly, but just like I'm living in a time that child me wouldn't even believe. Like there is so much Star Wars more than ever before. And I'm just like. I guess I was just grateful. Like I'm so excited to be to get more of this universe I love constantly. And I'm excited um, for you. <laughs> I'm excited for you because I get yeah, to no, I get to now cool. vicariously enjoy your journey exploring it too. Um, well, I hope it's not wrong. And it's <laughs> <laughs> you're you're you better have the right opinions too. Yeah, you, I, I hope so. I hope so. It. We have certain opinions. Uh, no, the the thing actually, the thing about it, everyone's everyone's going to have their different opinions on Star Wars, just like how everybody is going to approach a card game and have their own opinions about kind of what what they vibe with, what they like, what they don't like so much. Um, and in today's episode, Jason, we're talking about the aspect system in Star Wars Unlimited when we actually talk about the card game. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting to talk about uh, cards. I know that leading up to this, we haven't gotten really too into the card aspect, but I think uh, what we wanted to discuss was kind of uh, vital and also apparently super relevant to things that have been going on um, yeah. in, <laughs> in, in, in the game um, slowly leading out to its launch. So, uh, yeah, really excited to talk about uh, our aspects today and um, really, really most excited to talk about what I'm looking forward to playing. I know that a lot of people have been playing online, um, you know, and, and, and playtesting as best I can. I personally have been avoiding that as much as possible because I, I I need that experience of playing the cards for this game. I had so much fun playing it 432 times at Gen Con um, that I've got to have that same experience. But from what I've seen so far, I'm very excited for what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, and I th- I think this will be this will be a nice conversation for um, people who are really just discovering the game, which we have a lot of people who are just discovering the game right now. 
So if you've tuned into this and uh, I, I don't want you to be scared away, we're this is going to definitely be an approachable conversation where we're our intention is to really talk it kind of like, okay, what are these aspects like? What are they good at? What And, and the two of us have some different perspectives on things um, because Jason, like you said, you've been avoiding really like digging into things. So you have like, you're going to have more of this just kind of like outsider perspective, not full outsider, obviously, but like less so than me. And I have been trying to play every single leader, some amount, mostly against AI, which I will say right now is not the full play experience because AI <laughs> is really bad and really easy to, uh, to beat and doesn't do the nuanced things that you need to do. But it gives me a good feel for things when I don't have the time right now to print and play everything. So I, I have a lot of experience playing, playing the cards in that AI setting um, theorizing about them in the paper setting. And I'm just waiting for the paper as well to like really sink my teeth into against some actual players. Um, before we jump into our aspect discussion, the really quick plug, of course, like usual, just that, you know, if you, if you really enjoy what you're watching and you want to support us, like comment sub super helpful. Thank you so much. And if you want to see more Star Wars Unlimited content, you're going to want to be subbed here because we're, uh, as we lead into the, the launch, we're going to be ramping that up as well and if you're listening on a podcast platform like spotify or itunes go ahead drop a five-star review just so it helps us kind of get discovered and everything it helps helps people they find the podcast and they see the reviews and they go oh, you know what these guys might actually be kind of interesting to listen to so if you think that and you want to share it with people that'd be cool and if you want to support us monetarily and you don't want to spend any extra money to do it when you're shopping for your star wars unlimited singles you can go to tcg player with our affiliate link down in the description so instead of going like normal click that link or go to bit.ly slash shop TCGs, bit.ly slash shop TCGs. When you buy your Star Wars Unlimited cards, a little kickback gets sent to us. You don't have to pay anything extra. It's a really cool thing to do if you want to support us that way too. So thank you so much for all of your support in any way that you can. So, so Jason, six aspects. Six aspects in the game. Four, so like the interesting thing, I'll just kind of set the stage. Four colors and then two sort of alignments, right? We have we have Vigilance, blue, Command, green, Aggression, red, Cunning, yellow. And then we have Heroism, which is like the is a kind of a, a gray or white or off-white or whatever thing. We just call it white if you want to call it by colors. And then Villainy, the black one. Um, and, the, you know, the way, the interesting thing about the way it's designed is that Heroism and Villainy are on every single leader so far. And Everything we say might change in the future, but for now, it's every leader has heroism or villainy, one of the two, and then they have one other aspect associated with them. So there'd be like heroism and vigilance or villainy and aggression. Never heroism and villainy. And then your base is going to provide only one of those first four, never heroism or villainy. So, so every deck is like two or three colors, but one of those colors is always like a, like tinting your deck kind of in a certain direction, changing which side of that, those colors card pool you have access to in some ways. And there's a bunch that don't have heroes and villainy, a bunch of cards that don't have heroes or villainy on them too. So um, what's your, what's, what's your general, what are your general thoughts on this aspect system and, and how, how we kind of approach finding, you know, I think the topic is like, what's your aspect? What do you, what do you like to play and how, how does this aspect system play for you? So immediately out the gate, um, and if it lends to other games, which obviously we're going to pull anecdotes from other games all the time, as we've, you know, that's been a lot of our, um, life is trading card games and, and, and gaming itself. Um, it reminds me of like splashing a color in magic a little bit. Um, 
when you touch on, let's say, heroism or villainy, you're adding that extra flair to what you want to do that kind of identifies with how you are as a player. Um, I think that it lends to really intriguing deck building. Um, you may see a bomb card that doesn't touch on villainy, but touches on heroism. And now you're kind of stuck on, do I really want to buy into a card that has a better top end or do I want to play a card that lends towards, or do you want to play um, the aspect scheme that lends towards what I like to do as a player? And that's been kind of what I've been not struggling with. I wouldn't say struggle. It's been a great struggle when I've looked at cards I'm like, oh man, I'm really excited to play this. Oh, but if I play this, I can't do this. So reconciling that into the deck building process, I think is super neat. And especially in the decks that I've seen pop up so far. Um, I definitely think that at large, that's going to lend to probably my most exciting aspect of the game is going to be deck building. Yeah, the like the way that I've really experienced the this sort of just the general like triple aspect thing with heroism or villainy included is that like when I sit down and I look at a leader that I haven't gotten to really play yet, um, I, I I find I think that like that what I said earlier about it, like tinting the card pool is like the way I like to think about it, really, that like there are certain cards that um, that are you know, obviously only like you can, you can access any card by paying the aspect tax, but they're not efficient enough to play outside of heroes or villainy um, for this cost. But like, so it'll, they'll kind of like push you to one side or the other where like typically, so heroism cards tend to be, they tend to have abilities that are a little more focused on defense and protection and supporting your allies and that kind of stuff. And villainy ones tend to be focused a little more aggressively destruction that kind of stuff. And it's not quite that simple. It's not just like, well, if it's a heroism card, it puts a shield on something or it heals you. If it's a villainy card, it's destroy target unit or whatever. Um, it plays out. I think they designed it in kind of an interesting way where it's like the villainy cards have more aggressive, like power amounts on them or sometimes lower to the ground costs for small, like smaller or more aggressively slanted units. So like something, something a great example is how, you know, they have the, uh, the, um, which is totally blanked, uh, <laughs> stormtrooper, the first order stormtrooper. Uh, so that's the stormtrooper. I was trying to remember what kind of stormtrooper was this first order stormtrooper <laughs> is, um, is the stormtrooper that is, uh, the one drop aggression, aggression villainy three, one, um, and whereas one drops that are rebel slanted would tend to be things like two ones or one twos or something. They just don't have quite that like kind of like straight raw, like aggressive power to cost ratio on them. Um, and it's to the point where you have things like general Dodonna and general veers are two cards that are Dodonna and veers both do the same thing. Dodonna says your rebels get plus one, plus one veers says your Imperials get plus one, plus one. Dodonna is a four, four for four. Veers is a three, three for three. It's not like that. Was, those stats weren't chosen because fantasy flight sat down and they thought, well, you know, I think Dodonna would beat Veers in a fist fight. Like, <laughs> it was, it was instead that Veers is more aggressively pushed in that he's lower to the ground. He's easier for you to play 
in in sort of a low to the ground curve in your stormtrooper deck or whatever. Whereas Dodonna's on the on on sort of this inflection point where when you're looking at the higher cost decks, you're looking like, okay, well, these maybe need to be pushing a little more into the late game to be able to like consistently play this and gain value from it. Um, so you'll find that like, you know, and again, just my experience seeing other people deck building stuff is like Dodonna doesn't tend to make the cut in the really aggressive rebel decks because he's because he's kind of cost out where if he was a three drop, I think he would. Um and Veers makes the cut more in like Tarkin style, like aggressive, uh, aggressive villainy decks because he actually fits into that curve a little better. Yeah. And, and the thing that you kind of touched on that I, I, I really want to make a good point on is with the aspect of um, wh- how they're doing um, heroism and villainy. Um, you like to think about it if you want to even really think about it in just the the white meat baby face in wrestling terms here. You got your your faces and your heels. I'm going to teach you something here. Your faces are yeah, your I'm good learn guys. Something, I guess they're always a bit more sturdy. They're always a bit more noble, and they're always a, they're always a bit more fair. Whereas, and and the heroism cards really lend to this almost not fairness, but it feels like they want you to feel like that it's balanced. You're you're paying a little more, but you also in the aspect have a little more back end and a little more heft. Whereas your heels, they cheat, they cut corners, they like to go around and, and, and do things the wrong way and and cheat and get things out quicker. Or And in that end, you have to sacrifice something, whether it's a little bit of power, whether it's a little bit of toughness, something like that, whether your stat line has to go down to be a little more aggressively slanted in one way, like you said, a 3-1 versus a 1-3. It's, it's, it's two sides of the same coin. So I really think... Yeah. Go ahead. That's a super, I mean, there's a really good comparison that we can just do uh, right away, which is um, there's there's a card in Heroism, a card in Villainy that uh, both do somewhat similar things in, in the grand scheme of things, but you can clearly see the difference. Uh, one of them is our namesake card for the podcast, Galactic Ambition, which is a uh, seven cost card that is going to let you cheat into play um, something, a, a non-hero, in fact, a non-heroism unit from your hand for free. So you can drop your devastator. You can drop your gigantic star destroyer way earlier than you would have normally, but then you have to deal damage to your base equal to its cost. Right? So there's that, like you're paying that cost and you are receiving the benefit and, and like, it just had like, are the ends worth the means like a very, a very villainous thing to like kind of think in general. Um, and on the other hand, you have the heroism card. You're my only hope. It's another card that can cheat stuff into play, but it does it very differently. This time it's a three cost card um, that says you can look at the top card of your deck. You can play it. It costs five less. So this lets you similarly cheat things that are like a couple, a couple higher costs into play, but it has to be, it's kind of like relying on like, well, the, the, the force has to guide me. I need, I need to have the heroism. I need to have the hero's journey in my hand here to flip this. But then it says, if your base has five or less remaining HP, you can play it for free instead. So like how the heroes always can get out of that scrape in the last minute. It's like, so you get, you can decide like, do I, do I, do you, I want to play? Am I a player who likes to go for that sort of like overwhelming power at any cost? Or am I the player who like likes to play fair but you know, in, in the at the in when I'm in that scrape, I'm gonna find a way to kind of get out of it with that support. Yeah, their back's against the wall, and it obviously shows on the card that well. If your back's against the wall, you're gonna 
you're going to do what the hero does. You, you, you rise to the, the, to the occasion and rally back. And you kind of nailed it with like the description there of how that feels like that, which I think they've really kind of landed so far with the um, heroism, the villainy aspect part of the game. It really lends well to, well, in the terms of how I play, do I want to kind of get my means to an end and be done with it? Or, you know what, I have this, but it has more of an upside in the end of it with the heroism cards. Yeah. And like when I'm looking at a deck, um, I, I like outside of specific cards, I actually, I think I tend to feel like heroism and villainy are, are the, not the first thing I'm really thinking about immediately because they are, you know, they are like that sort of just that tinting that like that extra, that extra kind of which direction does this go to? The first thing I'm looking at is always like the, the, the main attributes, the, the main aspects, vigilance, command, aggression, cunning, and then between those, like which leaders do I like? Like if I'm if I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna play a cunning deck. I now so now I'm looking at do I want the Fett style or do I want Boba? Bo, sorry, but I meant to say Han. Boba Fett right. or Han, or do I want um Jin or Thrawn? I like there's like a kind of a rhyme. It's like poetry, it rhymes. Oh, <laughs> Quote nice. George Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> um but you know, you you have the the each each hero, each leader, or sorry, each aspect has two leaders, um, except vigilance and aggression, which also have Luke and Vader from the starter set. Right. Um, and you are kind of picking which leader ability I want, but also which side of the cunning pool do I think I'll I'll get to really utilize this with the best to to achieve kind of the strategy I'm looking for. Um, so yeah, I like, I never really sit down and go, I'm building a heroism deck today, but I, I sit down and I go, I'm going to build, I want to build a Boba Fett deck. Um, and this is kind of how that, the fact that he's villainy shapes what cunning cards now, whether they're villainy or not, which cunning cards I end up putting in the deck is, is shaped by the rest of the stuff I have access to. Yeah. Uh, kind of thinking the same way. Um, I definitely, when I have looked at what I want to play so far, it's definitely been impacted by the leader because obviously that's the marquee card of your deck, right? That is, this is who I am portraying in this battle we're having. So when I look at that, I look at, does it lend to my play style first? And then I look at um, the aspect of hero or villainy and go from there. But really, I just want to play what I enjoy. And if it hits that side of the table, then great. If not, well, then I have other problems. So when you, I know Jason, you're a, you're a fan of aggro as we've talked about previously. So, um, aggro is a wonderful name for a deck style in this game because we have an aspect called aggression. So you're probably right away. You're looking at the aggression aspect. Um, and so, you know, again, so you're going to look at the aggression. Let, well, let's, let's start, let's start by talking about the aggression aspect itself. So aggression is represented by red and aggression deals damage is like the the core part of its philosophy. Um, it is my things attack your things. My things do damage to your things. Um, if it's an effect, you if you can dream up an effect that's about dealing direct damage to something, there's a high chance it's aggression related. Um, so I like starting with that one because it's, that's kind of it. I don't know if you have anything to add about oh, what aggression uh, no, is. I mean, red, so if, if, if it's red, they're dead is the way I've been kind of going about um, just in, in my whole trading card game life. Um, and it is, it's, I'm glad it bl bled over to uh, Star Wars Unlimited. Um, definitely 
Um, seeing a lot of that and what we've seen so far, that's definitely the goal. You're, um, you're, you're, you're probably racing them now. You look like you could play a longer game, but most of what seems to be successful so far with uh, the red list posted is it's just about, all right, are you at zero as quickly as possible? Which I can definitely jive with. That's probably one of my favorite things to do in a card game. Um, I want to play the game I want to play regardless of what you're trying to do. I, I want to go, yeah. okay, lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolt, kind of stuff like that. Um, and they definitely have kind of embraced that. And it's really exciting for me. But I know you said that I'm an aggro player. I'm really looking forward to it. But it's actually not what I'm going to be building first. And we'll get to that a little later. Okay. Yeah, that that is exciting to hear. Um, there are, and I, I want to just, you know, be clear, like some of the most successful egg, red decks right now have been like, aggro we talked about this last time but that's that's where metas go imme- immediately everyone gravitates because it's it's simple it's especially find, find in the, numbers, the infancy the of a game like it's a first set yeah. so it's just the easiest thing to gravitate to there are some really fun decks on both sides that i've i've been able i've enjoyed playing there's sabine aggro decks which are, are kind of that's kind of the boogeyman one um sabine aggro decks because the some of the heroism and rebel specifically support has just um, proven to be a, just a good combination. There's some cards from some like Cassian themed cards that are quite good in that deck. And one of the big things about um, you know the aggression aspect is that in general, when you start to look at the different leaders, some of the leaders the leaders tend to have like in aggression tend to have slightly faster deploy turns. Um, at least Sabine has the fastest one as a turn four deploy or a turn three a, a four resource deploy. Um, but you have IG-88, who's a deploy five, and then two deploy sixes. You have no one at deploy... Sorry, three deploy sixes, because you have... Uh, just Sorry, Vader's a seven. Excuse me. Yeah, I'm, Vader's I'm getting things mixed up. Vader is a seven. But um, you have, you know, some some reasonably sort of just slightly slanted to being faster deploy, um, which faster deploy leaders are better at being aggressive because they can come down sometimes before the opponent's, like, real defenses for them are up yet. Um, and just immediately start kind of adding additional pressure to the opponent. Um, you also have Grand Inquisitor on the villainy side, who is uh, a, in my opinion, an extremely surprisingly fun leader to play who um, gets to basically just kind of like ready or untap, however you want to say it, your lower power units, which makes you sometimes think, well, like I'm playing aggression, I want higher power things to do more damage. But he he you we have an effect called raid in this game, which is that yeah. when something attacks, it gets plus two damage. So things that are it's that's that's like a big keyword in aggression, because what that means is that it pushes those units to be used for attacking and not like sentinels that are defending you from taking damage and everything, where they deal da- they would be dealing damage more when they're attacked. So um it's it's funny how it, it's like sort of it feels like right away you're like, well, why do I want to untap my small things? Well, because you have ways of giving your small things a lot of raid. Um, yeah, I had a, I had a turn uh, in an AI game that I was playing just today. I played an AI game with mono mono aggression inquisitor, just red red, and that gave me access to an aggression card uh, called Rallying Cry that says your units get raid two for the turn for three um, in double double aggression. So it's five if you're only in single aggression, which is, that's maybe too much. But in uh, I had a turn three, 21 damage turn, Jason. That's 
quite high. <laughs> now, it was against AI, and the AI, right. they played one Sentinel to uh, the ground, and I just killed it on turn two. And then they only played to space, and they weren't doing, they weren't, like, they would have kept cards differently. They would have interacted with me differently. Um, they were playing a slower control deck. They might have just had kind of a clunky hand. You're not going to get this play often. But that's just the power of being able to give things raid and then attack with them multiple times with Grand Inquisitor. Um, that is, uh, you know, really, again, it's but it's like that, like, Sabine is more of like a constant, like, keep putting pressure to the board. The Inquisitor is kind of like, I'm going to put all my eggs in this one basket and it's either going to pay off or it's not. Um, and that's, again, it's just like that heroism villainy difference you can see there. Yeah. And you just throw that basket as hard as you can and and hope it hits. Yeah. Um, For me, um, I'm excited. And, and because it, you know, it was a bit earlier, um, for me to see when compared to the other cards was Cassian Andor as a leader unit for a red card in my red brain to get a card when I deal damage. And this was before we started to see, you know, a little more of how things were going to shake down. For me, I was like, that is kind of an ability that just puts more fuel to your fire in a sense, but in a different way. You have more gas for upcoming turns, which helps with consistency with normally historically in most red list, you have to have some sort of sacrifice to that in games that like when you're playing a super aggressive deck, there has to be a downside to that. So the downside in this this game, you're going to have a much later deploy. Um, But if you could carry those extra cards, I think that's something that's really exciting to me and, and exploring deck building possibilities there. Yeah, and Cassian's a great example where like you I think you certainly can experiment with more aggressive versions of this deck. The the downside is that to be able to draw those extra cards, you need to be spending resources for it. So like you it's gonna be it's gonna be a slightly different, either a slightly different style of play or just more like a an aggro mid-range kind of like somewhere in between their strategy, because you're you're not really gonna get to keep up on the board early on if you're trying to draw cards. And so it's more kind of like a late game, like, okay, like I've, I've kind of run out of steam, but now Cassian lets me refill a little bit more, keep the, keep right. those threats coming so I can keep pushing in. And Cassian, I, I'd say like is leaning towards more of that, like that mid range style that aggro aggression, aggression can be included in the, in slower decks as well. Cassian's yes. I, I think an interesting example of a leader that can do that. Whereas like, um, Vader, when Vader is run, as a leader, as a seven drop with his abilities, he's and his, the abilities he has to do damage to things is typically like a more of a control deck that, and that's in that style of deck, you're using aggression more for cards like open fire to deal damage to things and just kind of keep the board controlled while you're using something like either command or vigilance right. to um, either, uh, which we'll talk about in just a moment, but to either kind of progress you to that late game um, either faster or more safely. Yeah, and I and I think it lends well to um, what they're trying to go with the deck building aspect. Yes, red is aggressive, and yes, red is out to get you. But when you play with it, those different shades and those different tints, you could really kind of get different play styles that uh, kind of blur those lines or bleed the color palette a bit more, which is really exciting. Yeah, for sure. Let's um, since we were just talking about Vader, let's for the next aspect we talk about, let's talk about vigilance. Um, it's also on sort of the opposite end of the spectrum as aggression. So uh, if aggression is all about attacking efficiently, vigilance is all about defending and hopefully not dying um, to things. Uh, 
it vigilance is these if if aggression is the fast style, vigilance is a slow style. Again, it's not a hard and fast rule, right? But um, I've definitely seen exploring the card pool that vigilance, while aggression can be featured more in slower decks, vigilance in faster decks, I haven't found anything like feeling super effective um, with that. However, I, I found that the vigilance decks that are uh, that are being controlling are fairly successful at doing that. Um, I am personally, so when I'm thinking about my aspect, I look at vigilance a lot. Um, I really enjoy the angles that vigilance gives us, uh, because it has just a lot of, it's going to be, it's going to require some finesse, some understanding of the metagame. You have to know what to prepare for. If your removal isn't the right kind of removal for what you're expecting to play against, it's going to be inefficient. But when you have the right efficient cards to play, um, for what you expect to see, then it's going to be great. So a great example is like one of the most popular Vigilance cards right now. Vigilance, by the way, is the, it's the aspect that has like all those straight removal effects. Um, a lot of them. Takedown is uh, is a very popular Vigilance removal spell right now. It's a four cost, um, sorry, spell, uh, action. Um, it's a uh, four cost uh, card that just destroys target unit with toughness or with power with HP four or less for remaining HP or less, um, which sounds kind of, uh, considering vanquish costs one more and just destroys any non-leader unit. It sounds like, well, you know, why, why wouldn't I just pay the one more for vanquish? And sometimes vanquish is quite good depending on what you face. Vanquish is better in sort of like control mirrors where you're going to be having to deal with star destroyers and stuff, but takedown takes out leaders. Yeah. Um, that's, that's the big thing about takedown um, and where where vigilance can really shine is like having that takedown when Sabine flips changes the game entirely. Um, and so that's where like, you know, again, just like having the right choosing the right cards is going to be important as well as knowing what you are playing into. Another thing vigilance likes to do is attack into your units, right? Um, vigilance plays things with more HP which means they can take a hit and then still have to be attacked to get rid of them or can take something else out. So you're getting a sort of that two for one value either way. Um, they have things with shields that can take that hit and not care about it. Um, have you, what, how have you felt about vigilance, Jason? So when I played in the demo environment, I enjoyed vigilance the most, oddly enough. Um, just because I felt like once I got to a certain point, in the game, I felt like I was okay. I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm, I, I feel like that my plays now, I should be getting a little bit, I should be inching a little more value out of everything. Now, as I've seen more of the card pool and kind of describing what you talked about, you make a really good point about being able to play the right card at the right time and completely flipping the game on its end. Um, and I think at least on just kind of a fringe perspective, because of course in, in my actual constructed place that I probably wouldn't play uh, Vigilance at all. It's just not for me. But it definitely lends to that. Do I have the right answer at the right time and sequencing and stuff like that? Because you're absolutely right. Um, that Sabine turn, just taking it out on when it flips, What that's kind of backbreaking in a sense. You've basically taken, you've time walked them almost. And um, that's vital, especially when your deck is designed to take it into the mid slash long game 
and recover and take out some of those troublesome units and and live through the collateral damage at all because you have a bigger back end or you have your shield tokens and stuff like that. And, and something that we didn't talk about that I really wanted to talk about is um, we're talking about these aspects. I wanted to touch on each one, but we got to talk about the legendary cards of each one, right? We got to talk about oh, the namesake yeah, sure. cards. Um, and uh, Vigilance is an awesome card, I think. And granted, you know, these are have pol very polarizing opinions I've seen so far. But, um, and, and to go back um, and to kind of give the floor to you, what do you think so far about if you were to go into that mono kind of the double color, you know, style of with the legendary cards, how do you feel about um, playing them? And especially we'll touch back on aggression real quick, just because we missed it. And then we could talk about the vigilance card real quick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I actually on, on our channel, I ran a poll, um, which was uh, quite fascinating to me actually to see of um, which aspect legendary people thought were the strongest. So we did, we did all three aggression, command, cunning, and vigilance. Um, so for people who aren't aware, and we're going to have a picture of the card in the YouTube uh, version of the podcast here for you to look at, which we've been doing the whole time. Um, these, uh, these aspect legendaries Jason are talking about are basically they're legendary cards that will offer you uh, four different choices um, depending on uh, that. You can, sorry, you can choose two of them, but the catch to these is that they are all double aspect cards. So, to play aggression, for example, which is just it's just the name. The name of the aspect is the card. Um, at its four cost, you need to be playing double aggression. You can play it for six. Uh, you you could play it for eight, but you that'd be really weird if you like yeah. put it in a if you put it in a non-aggression <laughs> deck at all. You wouldn't do that. But you could. I have built decks that um, that go later, like vigilance decks that play vigilance that aren't double vigilance um, because it's easier to afford that six cost that Vigilance right. had. I feel like you'll very rarely put aggression in a deck that is not double aggression. Um, so they're, they're really kind of like payoffs for going, you know what, I'm going to forgo getting access to a different set of the card pool. I'm going to only hone in on aggression, like I was saying, like mono aggression, Inquisitor, like I was playing earlier. But the payoff is when you pay four for these things, their value is insane. Um, so aggression, for example, four cost, Choose two in any order. Draw a card. Defeat up to two upgrades. Ready a unit with three or less power. Deal four damage to a unit. Um, some of the most impactful swings, like again, that like that Inquisitor deck, a, a lot of pretty much everything has three or less power, and then you have ways to give things raid. So that readying a unit with three or less power can be a six damage, like not hard to make it like a five, six damage attack. Um, in addition to then dealing four damage to a unit, which is like you can get rid of their uh, sentinel that's in the way. You can get rid of something that it has restore that's like kind of giving them a little too much life. Um, defeat up to two up upgrades allows you to not only hit like lightsabers and stuff like that, but most importantly, like most commonly experience tokens and shields. So for example, yeah. the combination of defeat up to two upgrades and then deal four damage to a unit can remove two experience tokens that they put onto a sentinel that you need to get rid of and then deal four damage to it to potentially get rid of it um, entirely or get rid of shields on things and then deal four damage to something. Um, and then you last, lastly you have draw a card, which is like, well, you know what? The other ones aren't useful right now, but I will get an effect I need and then replace this card in my hand with a new right. one, um, which keeps just, you know, cause aggression just needs that steam to keep coming to be able to close the game. 
Um, and I'm going to refer to our poll here. Uh, the aspect legendary that people thought were the strongest, according to the, we had a hundred, 181 votes on this one. 38% of people said aggression as the strongest one, which was the winner of the poll. Um, that surprised me because some of these other ones we'll talk about in a little bit. I, I would actually hinge on those ones. Um, and I think the skew on this one is that like early meta aggression slant. Um, people are just seeing more aggression being played. Mm-hmm. So they're not quite seeing the, the power level of, of things like cunning and command, I think. Sure. And it's also to the surface level. It could be somebody just seeing the cards for the first time or are thinking when I initially thought that poll, it's like, oh, if I were going to play, if I was going to play any of these in um, just the straight um, slant of that, not splashing or something like that. I, I think that's how I viewed the poll when, when I clicked my button, which I'll talk sure. about when we get to it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, everything that you're seeing, saying there about the card is super relevant for what they're trying to do. And in addition, and and something that I, I wanted to touch on too, is that while you can get those crazy turns and, and get generate a bunch of power by readying a unit, you're also just getting two things out of the way, um, essentially out of the way, getting pesky upgrades off the boards. And one of the most unfun things I was dealing with were shield tokens throughout the game. Like, I don't like that. That doesn't make me feel nice. Get that, get that out of here. So oh, that, I love them. That, that really, <laughs> yeah, that really tickles my part of my brain. So when I saw that, I immediately latched onto it. So overall, uh, really Really exciting card. Definitely want to be paying for for this card. I don't really like it as it scales. Um, yeah. It's still okay, but I think at four, it's exactly in what it's trying to do. If I was solo aggression, I'd definitely hit the mark on that. Yeah, it's a card that you, when you're playing mono aggression, you, you do like to see it, but not actually before you want to see the things to build your board, which is kind of the interesting thing. Like, I think it's a great support card, but it doesn't do enough when you don't have a board in play. Um, you really want to be able to take advantage of either readying something or defeating upgrades to to be able to get something a unit through or something to destroying a sentinel that's in the way. Um, okay, so back to vigilance. Or yeah. Are we good to move back there? We're good. I just would, I didn't want to miss out on talking about yeah, those cards. No, that, that's they're awesome. really exciting. Well, we'll talk about the vigilance aspect legendary at the end. Um, I did want to quick just kind of go over we there were missing as we're recording this, which may be different as like right. tomorrow. I don't know. <laughs> we're missing one leader in vigilance and one leader in command still. Um, so there's speculation, but we're not going to get into there what, what the missing ones are. But currently vigilance has uh, two six drops, a seven drop and, a, and one five drop, um, which really shows, you know, again, some of that just kind of like slant towards the later game. There's some hope. I think people hoping that the vigilance last one is a is a four drop, but I don't see it. I, th- I assume it's going to be five or six also, and really just kind of lean into that that later game. Um, and the the ones we have are uh, Luke, who is all about putting shields on things, Chewbacca, who is all all about putting sentinels into play and soaking up damage, um, Iden Versio, who's uh, one of my favorite ones to play, who is shielded when she comes into play and then lets you heal when you destroy things. She's a, she's a quintessential, like here's my game plan. Anything you play, I kill and any damage you deal to me, I restore, (laughs) which, which is uh, just like, I'm going like when I play this, I like, I'm having like, I'm getting to 10, 11 resources in play before I actually like finish you off. um, Because I spend the whole game just attacking your units and using 
um, weight, just removal stuff to try and keep the board as clear as possible, keep stabilized. And then Krennic, kind of an interesting one who uh, likes your units to be damaged and then has Restore himself. Um, but again, like like I was saying, we're talking about units that have high HP that are good at like attacking into something to take it off the board and then still existing, which is where that like it really it plays into that. And again, it's like it's a it's a very villainy thing. It's like our we're going to get a benefit when we when we hurt ourselves a little bit, um, which you can then use that plus one to then take out slightly bigger things. Or um, to actually deal, like, kind of race your opponent. If there's any leader here that could be a, an aggression slanted one, it would be Krennic, yeah. I think. Um, an, an aggro slanted deck. But otherwise, all of these other ones are really just saying, yeah, like, we're going mid game is the earliest we're doing anything. And late game is where we want to thrive. Yeah, and you could definitely see that. Um, I think my, my excitement lies in, in Chewy. Um, only because I like the idea of cheating things into play. That's always been a part of just... When I play, am I going to play things for max value or can I get a discount? Whether hook, crook, sure. whatever. And um, you also get, yeah, you know, you're you're going to be a leader a lot later. You're going to flip in, into a unit a lot later. But you're supposed to use those turns leading up to generate extra value and extra units that, like you said, again, are going to take you into a longer game. You have a bigger back end. Um, they're going to preserve your hip, uh, your base's um, health for a lot longer. And um, if I'm going to play a style of deck where I'm playing a longer game, I think I like the idea of being able to amass a bit of a board while preserving that total versus just relying on playing things fairly. I just you're going to you're going to find a common theme with me that I don't want to I don't want to pay full price for stuff. Well, the, I, I don't want any rules confusion here. Chewy does require you pay the cost for the unit you play. Right. Um, but when, when but, I mention that, that what, I get the Sentinel keyword. Yes, but that's important. what you're getting. You're getting yes. a higher value thing. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I, 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 just want, I, I, to, I just thought... No, no, no. I get what you're saying. I'm trying to get as much value as my units out of possible. Whether it's getting yep. it at a discount, adding extra keywords, etc. Yep. And that's what it lends to. So definitely. And I get where you're coming from when I say that. But the idea of what I'm trying to get at in general is if I can extract the most value out of my play, why would I spend the three on it naturally when I can get three with stuff? Like, have you ever seen that commercial yeah. where it's like, nobody pays me in gum? And and then they're like, well, why not both? And then, the, you know, the girl, like all that. Yeah. Yep, anyway, yep, you can yep. get both. And that's the, my you idea can have, of that. With you Chewy, you can have money. both. Yeah. Yep. Chewy gives you gum and money is is mm-hmm. the takeaway from that's, this one. That's literally the takeaway. Yep. Um, it, I mean, Chewy, interesting, too. I think he's the only leader that has Sentinel. Uh, at least that we've seen. Right. Uh, we may see one more, but like that's a that's kind of a cool thing on its own because it means when you put them out there, it's sometimes you get to that late game and and it's just like there's no way I can stop my opponent from attacking because they have like three things in play and it takes two attacks to take me out and I only have one action to try and like wipe something off the board. But a two nine sentinel that gets bigger each time he yeah. takes damage is like actually you're not gonna beat me this turn. Because no. you're not going to get through this this walking carpet. Yeah, um, that's exciting so, too. Yeah, he's he's a really cool leader. Um, so as far as the aspect legendary is concerned, so vigilance is the one. Like I mentioned, um, it's the one where I'm I've I've been kind of the most okay with paying six for it, um, and that's strictly because you're going so late in the game where this becomes like kind of a viable card, and it does. It has. Action economy in Star Wars Unlimited is pretty important. Um, 
being able to, like I was saying, you know, like if they can attack you, they have three things. They can attack you twice before you can do two things. So the more stuff you can do in a single action, the more often you can avoid that scenario and kind of like pull out of situations where your opponent otherwise had the upper hand. And Vigilance does quite a nice push, even in the late game at like kind of maintaining your status of being alive and not dead, having a pulse. Um, So Vigilance is four cost. Again, Vigilance, Vigilance. Choose two in any order. Discard six cards from an opponent's deck. Heal five damage from a base. Defeat a unit with three or less remaining HP. Give a shield token to a unit. Um, I'm going to say right away, the discard six cards for your opponent's deck is rarely relevant. Uh, I, I had one game I played one time where I was like, I might choose this because I'm not doing anything to them and I might just mill them out eventually. <laughs> <laughs> but... It's not, um, I think I was playing like a, a Hera Spectre deck with Kanan and like was had a bunch of incidental mill that had happened that game. Um, but really what you're playing this card for are these the second set of three abilities, which in different scenarios are differently impactful. Heal five damage from a base is a huge chunk actually of damage that your opponent has to now redeal to you again. And that is on its own wouldn't be worth six, but combining that with either defeating a unit that has already taken a little bit of damage um, or is smaller. That's the big thing is like the three or less HP remaining. It feels kind of restrictive. I've found more often than not, there are plays for it that are quite relevant um, or it's at least easy enough to like think about as you're doing other plays. You're like, ah, I'm, I'm going to just get an extra damage on this thing because it makes it a vigilance target now. Um, and then putting a shield on something is when you're putting that on a sentinel, is where it's like, Jason, Oof. you know, because you you hate shields. Yeah. It's like this yeah. is, I don't want to have to deal with this. Right. Yeah, it's 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 a, a very nasty, almost two for one against you when you have to look across from that. You're just like, oh, so I have to get through that shield. Then I have to get through that unit that shielded, and then oh well, what if they just do it again? <laughs> you yep. know, it, it gets very frustrating to think about that. But you're kind of exactly right. And then. Um, what what you got when you were kind of talking about defeat the unit with three or less HP too, with the understanding too that your units have larger toughness, you're gonna probably not kill on the crackback usually when you deal damage back. So that's also another way. If you're preserving your life total by uh, blocking, you're getting that chip damage onto the units anyway, uh, just through the longevity of the game. So if you get that extra point out there, um, that that three or less definitely seems like it's going to be pretty easy to pull off in the grand scheme of things. I look at the discard top six cards from an opponent's deck as kind of what you said. Well, I guess we're, we're going there. If the game's going that long, it's my, it's another win condition on the board, right? Like I could just, well, if you, if you have no cards, you know, um, and six is a, is a reasonable number. Again, if I'm paying four for that, I would be like, okay, I'll do this. But really um, the shield token to me immediately, plus uh, either defeating the three unit or healing for five, that's a lot to do for one action and maximizing that action economy. I'll say most often I'm putting a shield on something. And another thing just to like make really clear about the defeating unit with three or less is that in vigilance, you're often playing a lot of sentinels. Um, so it's not even like you have to attack into something and like take a loss on value. It's like, you're putting the sentinel out to buy yourself time, right? right. To, to stymie the opponent for a turn. And incidentally that sentinel puts two, three damage onto something and, 
Um, I want to be really clear too. Defeat a unit with three or less eight remaining HP does not say a non-leader unit. Right. It's very possible that they like, well, okay, Sabine's the one who's bigger. Um, you know, any of these other things would attack into the Sentinel and die, but Sabine won't. So I'll attack your Sentinel with Sabine. Okay, cool. I'll Vigilance your Sabine and put a shield on this Sentinel or heal five damage from my base now. And like you, Vigilance is just does a pretty good job of kind of like, in a lot of situations, as long as you're kind of engineering them correctly with your deck building and, and your play of really moving that goalpost f- a reasonable distance from the opponent where it's like, oh, man, I don't even know if I'm going to I don't know if they're going to make it now, you know, which is which is what you want. Yeah, yeah it's definitely annoying. Yes, it's no. annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it's what I want to do. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's great. So I've I've played Vigilance in I like I said, I played it in non double vigilance decks because when you go late, you know, you, when you go late, it's, it's valuable. Like imagine you going late with Chewie. Um, Ch- Chewie comes out with Sentinel. Chewie takes damage because they crack into him. Cause they're like, well, I got to get like, he has Sentinel. Like what else am I going to do? I'm not just going to stop attacking you because Chewie's in play. So they do some damage onto him, like three or four damage. Now his grits like huge. So he's actually, att- he actually does five or six damage and then you go, okay, perfect. Uh, so I'm going to Vigilance, kill the thing you attack Chewie with, and put a shield on Chewie. Now the next time you attack Chewie, it only gets rid of the shield and he kills anything that attacks yeah, into he's him. he's just huge. Yep. So that's that's where it's like, that's worth six. Like that is, that is I think, in my opinion, that's definitively worth six sure. to do. Um, we are taking a long time, so we're going to cruise on to the other ones here. Um, I think we'll, we'll hit probably that hour and a half that we hit uh, pretty yeah. frequently with these, but that's okay. Um, we're going to talk about, uh, oh, sorry, 19% of people said vigilance was the strongest one, which was the, the, uh, third out of the four, um, which I understand again, like people just aren't really playing the control decks as much. They're not, um, and with how good the aggression decks are right now, control just takes more time to kind of be good. So people aren't playing it as much. Yeah, but it's definitely one of those around. cards where it's like, uh, ha- as metas get solved and things like that, there's probably more rallying behind a card like that. Yeah, agreed. Um, so let's talk about command next, because I feel like it. Um, Very good. So command is the aspect of accelerating resources uh, and building armies, right? It's it's kind of the, it's kind of like the, I have resources whether that be like literal resources in play or dudes to work with on the board um it's it's all about just kind of growth in any of those ways so the caveat to our discussion of this one is that there is a leader we're missing which is like 99.9 percent emperor palpatine yeah um and that i think has the potential to you know just like I, in my head, I imagine Palpatine's like an, an eight or nine deploy, like, but when he comes down, it's like, yeah, okay. It's like, it's Palpatine. Like, what yeah. are you going to do? Um, and is maybe built around growing your resources or something because that's, you know, he built the empire. Right. So, um, but we'll see that's like idle speculation. But the point is that we're, we're missing vigilance. We were missing a leader, but we still had four to work with command. We only have three to talk about here. Um, and they're quite varied in what they yeah. do, actually. Um, so uh, 
Grand Moff Tarkin appeals to the player who wants to build an Imperial army and put experience tokens on all your things so that they get bigger. He just, he manages the troops and, and, um, makes them big. Uh, Leia is the, is his opposite in great, you know, very thematic sense, who is also a five deploy, just like Tarkin, but is all about attacking with your rebels faster than the opponent can, can do their plays. Striking when the iron's hot, um, as her as an alliance general, and as a different alliance general, Hera Syndulla is the very unique leader in that she's very she's she's sort of type bound into specter cards. Her her main ability is to ignore the aspect penalty on your specter cards, um, but when she's deployed, she also can give experience tokens to your unique units, which. Spectre people who haven't watched Rebels, that's the Rebel Cell in, Spe- in uh, Spectre's the Rebel Cell in Rebels. Ezra, Kanan, um, Chopper, can't forget him, Sabine, uh, and Zeb, and Hera form the cell. So when you build this deck, you play a bunch of off-aspect things, typically. You're playing Hera. You're playing Hera with Kanan, Ezra, Sabine. And um, then you also have a bunch of unique units that you can then put some experience tokens on as she kind of like guides the team um how have you what's your experience been like with command jason oh so that's definitely where i'm going to be that's where you will see me um i like the idea of experience tokens um something we didn't talk about is um in the a lot of the villainy aspect cards um that touch on uh command is that they're digging deeper into your deck for more cards that's wonderful i i i i cannot Again, I want more for less. If I'm going to pay something, give me a little bit of stats, give me a little bit less of something, but give me more that I could latch on to. Um, and then the fact that, you know, we have units that when they die, they become a resource. So I'm ramping up, which is another, again, I'm getting, I'm, there's two sides to my very smooth brain. There, there's a lot of wrinkles on. And it's, do I want to hit you in the face or do I want to, have it all like my my dragon like my scrooge mcduck uh, tower of gold kind of thing so i want as many resources possible i want to ramp through my deck i want to tutor through my top five cards in my deck and grab two cards you know stuff like that stuff like that wildly appeals to me and that's definitely where i've drawn my kind of preliminary play style and where i think i'll be headed in kind of the deck building process sure yeah it's um like you said the the consistency being able to search yes. through your deck and find units and specifically commands search effects or are not are not like search for anything they're like search the top x cards of your deck right for 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 guys for dudes for units for for um the heroes the heroic or villainous men and women of star wars will be found in your deck and then you'll slap them into play to create that army um, right and like it's 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 kind of an interesting identity, actually. I think, like as a as an aspect in the game, the, the the color that is both about like keeping things, putting putting small things in play that accrue you value. A lot of the commands units have things that are like on enter, draw a card, on enter, find another rebel, you know, on enter, deal some damage equal to your number of units in play to something. Um, they all kind of like they they like to be small guys that do something um, to advance your your game state, or they're cards that are going to grow you into big things that are going to have that that sort of immediate impact. 
Yeah, and, um, and and not for nothing too. Experience tokens. That's such, that's so much fun. Um, putting experience tokens on things on a unit that you're like, oh well, this thing isn't nearly as strong as I need to keep on board. What if I slap two or three experience on it? You know, and now all of a sudden I have a unit that probably was not meant to get this big with an ability that I want to keep in play, and I'm going to get more value out of, deal more damage, have more longevity out of your units. Yeah, and and like where shield tokens were vigilance's thing, experience tokens are firmly in like commands camp. Commands the one who who just wants to, if it's not growing the number of units, it wants to grow the size of the units. Correct. Ideally, both. Um, command has been a. Uh, for me, a really fun, uh, well, actually I was, I will say prior to when I really started toying around with Hera, which is kind of a weird cheaty deck cause it gets to run a bunch of other aspects too. Um, command has been a really great supplementary aspect to add to different decks. Um, vigilance decks that, that have command as the base vigilance leaders that have command as the base are able to like, you know, like I can play these late game control decks and have access to uh constant advantage um to kind of keep keep my hand size stable so i keep finding answers to things they let me put threats on the board so that i could not necessarily threats but just bodies on the board that i can attack into things to take out things that are threatening me um and sometimes lets me ramp to that later stage of the game a little bit faster so i can i can get down that kind of key stabilization card in time um I have played Double Command Hera. That's been a popular one that you'll see in some of the channels that are doing gameplay content too, uh, which I realized after I built it. I built it, and I was like, oh man, people are sleeping on this. And then I like, <laughs> you go, I put it on YouTube. I'm like, wait, no, everybody's doing this deck. Never mind. It's not actually a secret at all, but it's an extremely fun deck that gets to play the Command Legendary and get a lot of value from it and really just utilize like the ability to you know it has a bunch of unique units that work well with Hera's ability to put experience counters on unique units and all just work really well together um to just generate value like it's it's such a it's just such a value generating like in that in that deck when i get to the late game it's like yeah i have like 10 guards in hand right now and i and you have no board <laughs> which is just fun that is um, and i think yeah, something ahead. too that um, I, I've noticed so far and kind of what uh, I've seen is that it's a, a very kind of color that definitely feels like that kind of improve my color I'm kind of pushing into, especially with the, the ramp aspects and stuff like that. Um, I don't know where I, in the direction I'm going to go into, but I feel like I would be more incentivized to play control style when I can cheat things out a bit quicker by getting that extra resource or regassing my hand back up a little bit easier. Yeah, absolutely. And like, speaking of doing all of the above, the Command Legendary, we'll go ahead and, and pull that bad boy up here. That is a four cost, like the other ones, they're all they're all four cost, uh, two command aspect that says, choose two in any order. Give two experience tokens to a unit. A friendly unit deals damage equal to its power to a non-unique enemy unit. Put this event into play as a resource. It does come into play rested. That's a or exhausted. That's a that's a core rule in the game. Resources come into play exhausted, and re, and or return a unit from your discard pile to your hand. Um. So this this card again, just like the other ones, has a bunch of really sweet modes. Uh, all four of the modes here I like 
quite a bit on this card. Um, the ability to give two experience tokens to something and then immediately deal its damage to a non-unique unit. Now, the non-unique thing comes up a lot, actually. That's really, really relevant because leaders are unique. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things you want to get rid of, especially big, scary things, are like Luke Skywalker. It's like, that's a unique unit, turns out. Um, so it's that it's really good for dealing with some like some threats, sentinels and, and stuff. I always pinpoint sentinels because they're the most annoying thing to be on the board. Um, but a lot of threatening things, you know, it can hit, but surprising amount of things it it can't hit, which are, which is not always the greatest, but I mean, it kind of would be nuts if it could hit those two, um, put it into play as a resource, which is great when it's like you're playing it early in the game and you're just like kind of playing it to like get some value, maybe like snipe an early game, like a non, non things being more common in the early game, use it to kind of like just get rid of an early, uh, an early game draft from an opponent and then ramp yourself faster to getting your leader out or something. Um, and then returning unit from your discard pile to your hand is like sometimes backbreaking too. You get get back your big end game ending units or uh, your big sentinels that your opponent had to work to get through. Great card. Yeah, I I I agree. I think um, for me, the idea of using it as uh, almost an, an earlier game approach, kind of like okay, cool. It's going to put me ahead of resource and I could get something out of the way that's possibly bugging me. Or I could just, you know, put two experience on some, on something I already have out that already maybe got its value and just get a little bit extra mileage out of it by giving that extra longevity or chip damage to a base or a unit that's in the in my way that way. Um, I think that's how I view command as a card. But however, returning a unit from your discard pile to your hand in general, in any game, usually rebuying a card out of your discard pile is huge. And to have that with something else you get to do is is pretty sweet and again um when you're paying for it in um out of the double and you're getting that four cost um i think it's my favorite most bang for your buck but i also think that's because it's just what i identify as a player the most yeah and i think like like the whole point of the podcast is like you're gonna hopefully you're gonna listen to this and find like the ones that appeal to you the most and find your personal play style just like Jason is clearly firmly in the mono green camp. Um, I commands an interesting card because I think two of those abilities are really good early and two of those abilities are, um, well, sorry, three or three of those abilities are probably pretty good early Two are not so useful later in the game. Like later in the game, you don't really care about putting it as a resource and you don't as often care about killing non-unique enemy units. Whereas late game, you really want to return a thing from your discard pile to your hand and you don't really care to do that early. So I think generally when you play this late game, it's like two experience on something and return something back. And when you play an early game, it's probably pretty often either two experience or snipe something and or both or put it in a resource. So one of the, some mix of those three things will be like kind of the things that you're going to be doing. Um, and I agree with that. Like this card is the strongest, I think, it, the most impactful in the early game. Whereas in the late game, it's like a it, it can be an extremely good play, but so was drawing a star destroyer or something. Right. Right. Exactly. You know? Like it's not going to nearly do as much as one of the other, other ones in the later game. Um, and in particular too, um, and, and not for nothing that it kind of gives that slant when maybe you are in a racing situation um, and your back's kind of against the wall to kind of maybe squeeze something out there long enough to give it the two experience to get something off the board that's bugging you and kind of restabilize. And that's why I de- I've identified that card is that's something I want to see typically on that turn I can play it 
like as soon as possible yeah. versus some of the other and ones, like especially vigilance. It's like, okay, if I draw this later, I still have applications. Yeah. And that's, and that's why I, I think for this card, I, I don't usually think about splashing it into non mono green um, because paying six for it is really just asking for those ladder abilities to be the core uses of it. And those, those aren't just, those aren't impactful enough really at six when six, you really could be playing some pretty strong cards instead. So our final aspect to talk about is cunning and cunning's the weirdest aspect. Too. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Nope. I forgot about our, our, our poll. We got to do our poll yeah, here our too. Poll. Our poll, our poll. What did um, our viewers command? Think? Command was listed as, this is one of the things that surprised me, it was listed as the weakest one. 15% of viewers thought it was the strongest of the four. Um, it does, actually, I should clarify, that does not, that does not mean that it, they listed as the weakest of the four. It means that the fewest people ranked it as the strongest, which is a different thing. Because um, a lot of those people could be saying, well, Command's good, but it's not as good as aggression. Right, right, right. So yeah, I want to cor correct my statistics there before anyone uh, corrects <laughs> me on that. Um, but it still was the has the fewest number of proponents who think it's the strongest one. And um, again, you know, not seeing not seeing who we assume is Palpatine yet. I think maybe there's some there's some swing to that. Is there's just fewer command mono command decks to play. Um, I have tried building some Leia like more aggressive decks where command is a really good card. Um, but the, the drops aren't quite all there for mono command aggro to feel quite as impactful as like Sabine mono, mono aggro Sabine or anything or, or red, yellow Sabine, which is a common one. Um, so again, g give it a little time. We'll get to re release and we'll see what kind of like, what kind of Leia shenanigans are out there. Um, Tarkin shenanigans, Tar this is really good in Tarkin too. Um, and and I think I think it'll find more than just the home that it has in Mono Command Hera, which gets to, which has like half your deck built for you, so it's like it doesn't care about the card pool as much. Yeah, it's it's a lot easier to deck build when it's already kind of made for you in that regard. Excuse me. Which, by the way, is a, a good thing just for accessibility to the game. Like I like having leaders that are that way as well. If people just don't want to have to think too hard about intricacies of deck building, I oh. like one that's just like, if you put the things that say specter in, it's going to, it's going to work well enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I, I lend to that very well in a lot of art card games, like in final fantasy right now, I'm playing mono lightning, but the thing about mono lightning, yep. it's all scions of the seventh dawn. So it tells me, Oh, I need to play these because they say that job. Yep. So I, I like this goes that. in here. It, Yes. Wow. Perfect. Good. I did it. I'm cooking. Yep. But it's not like, it's not a bad thing. I think some people look down on that, but it's like, it's, it's, uh, for certain people, for certain types of players, that's, that's nice. It, it lets them get out of a headspace they don't care about as much and into the headspace they like. Oh, um, absolutely. So. I'm a big proponent of, uh, tribal decks, tribal formats, tribal decks. I need to yep. play X of these because they synergize. I think that's great. Um, so cunning, our last aspect is kind of the weirdest one because it it is a it's an eclectic bunch of a lot of things. Uh, the FFG describes it as adapting to situations on the fly with powerful immediate effects and tools for disrupting your opponent's plans, um, responding quickly to threats and having an answer for anything that they see. I I think you know the core to this 
is this idea of disrupting your opponent rather than rather than removing the problems. It's really it's it's you're the you're the faction that throws wrenches into everything. You're slowing your opponent down. It's a focus on tempo, really, more than anything else. It's like, I know I can't destroy a Star Destroyer, but I can disable it for long enough to win the game. Right. Um, And so Cunning features a, a bunch of cards that do kind of vaguely tricky things <laughs> that aren't aren't necessarily always like, I, I'm getting a, a, I'm getting a huge advantage that will snowball into victory. It's like I'm going to get a bunch of upfront advantage, and hopefully, I can I can wrangle that into a win. Um, when we look at our leaders, we have leaders like Han Solo is a great example who puts resources into play temporarily. You have to lose a card in your hand to get a plus one resource for the turn. Um, you if you just let me tell you, the AI is the worst Han Solo <laughs> player in the world. Uh, do not even like you're you're getting no information playing against Han Solo decks that are that the AI is controlling because they'll just be like, "I'm going to dump the whole hand right now." Just be like, "Like I really need this extra resource this turn so I can so I can speed this three drop out." Like, okay, like <laughs> cool, because they'll they'll get to like turn four or five and just have no cards left in hand anymore. Like, yep. Sounds about right. So you lose now. Um, and uh, but with an actual human behind it, you can do really interesting things uh, where you can like Han can have some pretty crazy turns where he gets an extra resource to get himself to deploy, who then gives himself one more resource and then starts to deploy some like pretty uh, some pretty big stuff pretty early. Um, but it's a uh, I fantasy flight has also described this as the card gamers um, aspect. So if you're someone who likes to find those like, okay, these little plays where I eke the value out, where I, I find the tempo plays, that's that's cunning to a T. Um, on the other side of things, we have Boba Fett, who does not give you inc- increasing resources like you would get in a command leader potentially, but gives you readying resources when units leave play, um, which is that kind of like, and it's leave play, not destroy, right? Right. So it's like you can bounce a thing away for the turn and then get a resource. But it's like get a little get a little refund, get a little rebate on uh, send in, send in your receipt. And then we'll in six months, we'll send you seven dollars <laughs> back in the mail. Yes, <laughs> value. Um, but Boba Fett at least gives you that rebate immediately. And then you can kind of spend it to like he just gives you you're efficient. You get to kind of put more things out. And, it, and a lot of Boba Fett decks are going to get to that mid game and then kind of like dump a lot of stuff into play in one turn, play a lot of cards. And you're like, Whoa, I like, I don't, I'm not ready to deal with this much stuff at once. Mr. Fett, please. Um, and the other side of the things we have Thrawn, who's very interesting, like looking at getting information about the top card of each player's deck, um, seeing what's coming, being able to kind of like learn what you need to play around a little bit and then exhausting units to just kind of like slow the opponent down a little bit. Um, and Jin, who is all about, uh, the things you attack deal less damage back to you. Um, I feel like Jin is the odd one out, really, in all of this, where it's like, like not really tempo based, but just kind of giving you an advantage for fighting your opponent's stuff, and and maybe I feel like Jin's the one who kind of needs to be paired with other colors a little more to like 
really take advantage of that. But I don't know, Jason, how do you feel about cunning and, and the cunning leaders? Kind of what you said um, really is how I've been thinking about it. I think to me, it's one of the most exciting kind of aspects of the game and really because what they're doing with it. Um, like you said, each of these leaders do something different that kind of give you that little extra incremental push, whether it's Han for a temporary push Boa gives you a little bit of your money back. You brought your coupons in, you know, great, your coupon clipper. And then um, Thrawn for me is exciting because I like to, you know, fate seal, look at the top card. You know, I, I, I if, if I'm going to play more of a style where I want to be more of in control, I think one of my favorite forms of control is knowing what's coming. So looking at the top of the deck and then getting that extra little bit of value for knowing what's coming at the top of the deck um, really excites me. Uh, Jin is an interesting card, if only because I would have not, I, I don't know how to apply a card like that <laughs> in, in a way that's yeah. it, meaningful. Um, I'm sure there's going to be applications that people are going to enjoy or great. I think it's a super sweet ability like to have something like that. It's like, okay, I'm coming in, but by the way, your guy's a little bit weaker. That's cool. And it kind of leads into that cunning slash subterfuge kind of aspect of things that it's an undermining what your opponent's trying to do just in a, in a way that I, I still can't kind of figure out how I would want to make it work or work with. Yep, I agree. And and Jin's the one I've had the most struggle with like really having a deck that feels like it kind of it kind of gels together. And it could be a card pool thing. Um, but Jin's also the kind of the kind of character where if you don't really get a, a lot of experience playing it or playing with it, you're gonna do the math wrong an awful lot. And I kind of wonder if that's like part of the deal. It's like like one way you can really cunningly mess up your opponent is just screwing up their math constantly and Jin is like yep like like you're you didn't do the math right and this thing can kill this and doesn't die and then you still have to deal with it and like um using her with sentinels is the thing that i like i just i okay i like sentinels all right like sue me but um <laughs> using her with sentinels is cool because the sentinels can can actually sentinels attack too so the sentinels can attack into your opponent's stuff and generally survive it's like all your stuff has one extra health if you attack with it in a way, um, which means that you're even the Sentinels that have lower, uh, like the there's there's um, the four three Sentinel, the Echo Base Defender in in Command. So Command Jin could play that, and it's kind of treated like it's a three drop four four Sentinel. It crashes into something, it can take something out, and then it still is there a lot of the time. And then your opponent's like, oh, now I gotta like crash something else into this, and like you know, just there's your there's some of that value you're gaining. Um, cunning has a lot of really cool, really powerful cards. Uh, cunning has access to spark of rebellion to discard cards for your opponent's hand. Um, cunning has access to, uh, ways to exhaust your opponent's stuff. A little bit of access to shields, which is kind of cool. Put shields on your opponent on, on your things, um, bounce your opponent's things out of play. It's a good, it's another good like command to me, another good supplementary aspect. Um, in that it's going to just kind of shore up the the th being able to deal with certain threats. Um, I think I think you know as far as like when we start to see control decks develop, um, I think there will actually be a pretty wide range of how they work. But cunning is going to be a popular one just because of some of the raw power that in good in in effective hands those cunning cards can lend to your decks. Um, I think you're going to see things like cunning vigilance Thrawn 
be played where vigilance gives him like the hard answers to things and cunning lets him just like buy time until vi- you can play the vigilance cards. Um, you're going to see uh, cunning also get played in um, probably decks like, like Chewbacca actually. Yeah. Um, because cunning gives you additional ways to put shields on things and kind of screw up your opponent's attacks and, and toy with your opponent until the carpet can come down and then, you know, unleash his un- unleash hell on your opponents. Um, cunning has our final, of course, legendary aspect card, and it is a bit of a doozy in my opinion. Oh, yeah. The four cost cunning aspect legendary has choose two in any order. Return a non-leader unit with four or less power to its owner's hand. Give a unit plus four plus O for this phase. We'll talk about that in a second. That's an interesting. Choose up to two units. Or sorry, I don't know why I said choose. Exhaust up to two units. I'm getting tired. This is my second podcast of the day. So exhaust up to two units. And an opponent discards a random card from their hand. By the way, if you ever want to get me excited about a card, just slap that text on it. I'm like... (laughs) let's go (laughs) um so what you see happening with cunning a lot is these decks that are buying time for the late game for whatever their end game is are going okay did you deploy your leader and you have three things in play cool i'm gonna return that non-leader unit to your hand i'm gonna exhaust your leader i'm gonna exhaust one more thing which is often like all right I'm not dealing you any damage this turn. Um, thank you. So that that's the most common thing you see. I feel like kind of a lot, a lot like how aggression has draw card is like the extra ability. The extra one here is the opponent discards a random card from their hand where it's like, I can't impact the board with this, but I maybe I'm going to mess up a future play of theirs. Um, the value to that card that's hidden is that in this game, your cards that are less useful get placed as resources. And so generally the cards they keep in hand are the ones they intend to play. Whereas in some games you're going to, you're going to be a little more mixed as to whether you hit something like that or not on a random discard. And then the give a unit plus four plus oh, this phase is like the weird, like out of nowhere, huge amount of damage, um, which again, like fits in that cunning theme of like you, the messing with the math, you can't, your, your opponent is less sure of what's going on than you are. Right. How do you feel about cunning, Jason? So um, cunning is exciting. Um, and especially like the deal plus, uh, the plus four plus O till the end of the phase is kind of wild to me because there's also cards in cunning like shoot first. So if you want to do something like that and you're like, okay, cool. So now I just gave myself this big power push. I didn't take any damage back and I just took your unit off the board and your opponent's just like, oh, you know, like, well, I didn't, I didn't think that you were going to come get to like six, seven power in this one kind of swing. And then, you know, I still got to keep my unit. And then I also really like the, um, a bounce. Um, so I'm not a very big control player, but I do like bouncing cards back to players' hands. Um, and I think for, 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 for what Cunning is doing, there's a lot of really relevant text, but it's also very, somewhat specific in the strategies they're going for to um, that um, in other aspects, even. So it's very interesting to me that do I want to pay for six in some other decks? Maybe if only because there's so much utility in a card like this. 
where some of the other ones have utility that are more built around what they do. Cunning being kind of like throwing the wrench in. It also is the wrench for you to kind of fix specific things that you're trying to do. That's how I've looked at it. While yes, there's that Mm. subterfuge and messing with your opponent. It's also giving me that side that my deck may have not had access to, or it's going to push me to where this deck may feel a bit more competitive or more lending to a play style I want. Yeah, I, I I think I agree in general. Cunning is probably the card, the, the aspect legendary, the second most likely one I am to put in a non-double yeah. uh, aspect deck. But I would say it's a pretty fair distance from my likelihood to put Vigilance in, mon- in, in just a dual aspect Vigilance decks. Um, where the the answers it provides are flexible, but not hard enough, where Vigilance kind of provides that like sort of hard late game value more often that you're looking for. Yeah. But cunning in the double cunning decks, there are some like pretty disgusting synergies. Uh, the one I like to point to, and, and the one the, the most popular cunning deck people play is, is Boba Fett right now. And um, Boba Fett works so beautifully with this card when you do again doing the like exhaust and return effects the return effect will allow you to get that resource ready from fet the exhaust will um exhaust units which which then means when you're playing the legendary unit boba fet who deals free bonus damage to anything that's been exhausted this turn but um but didn't actually anything that's been sorry anything that's exhausted but didn't come into play that turn legendary unit fet deals extra damage to it so cunning lets you like set up a free resource with the leader fet and then exhaust your opponent's unit so that the unit fet can like take them out too um it's just like it's just this like synergy package that i think is just really hard to ignore and really makes you think like wow like double double cunning fet certainly seems like a, a playable deck and I, and i think most of all out of the four aspects we talk about i think it's kind of exciting to look at what some of the applications can really do for your leader where some of the cards kind of um, contribute to the overall agenda of what you're trying to do i feel like cunning as one of the aspects generally can lend to what your leader is trying to do and i think that's really cool yeah yeah for sure um let's finish out by just talking about where the community thought these aspects should be ranked and we have cunning was oh, I think actually you can just do process of elimination if you've been listening. So cunning is the second place um, with 28 percent of the community thinking it is the strongest one. Um, and the way I read this, by the way, is that Boba Fett's just a popular deck that people are are playing in, in print and play right now. Um, so that leads to it. But what I see here is that aggro decks are the most popular. And so aggression is the leader. And the uh, one of the decks that has some capability to beat the aggro decks right now is cunning decks that are just drawing cunnings and stopping you from dealing damage to me for several turns. Um, so I kind of see these two aspects being two of the like the most straightforward. Like I said, it's some really strong synergies in cunning, just making it like yeah, like sure we'll play Sabine, we'll play Fett, we'll you know. And clearly these cards are shining in those decks, whereas. Command and Vigilance. Command is missing some of the card pool, I think, to really feel like it's super strong outside of kind of Hera builds. And Vigilance is missing that sort of meta development 
where people will start to be like, well, and, and I also think mono vigilance doesn't feel very strong right now either. Um, but they, the development of the control decks in the meta will start to make people go, oh, I kind of underrated this card. <laughs> this card's destroying me right now. Yeah, and, and again, it's a, a burgeoning meta to begin with. So it's really exciting what everyone's thinking about now, what we're thinking about now, and then how we're going to look back at this maybe three, four months down the line, you know, when, yeah, when some absolutely. other different, like, hell of different decks. Yeah, we'll revisit this when like set two has come out and everything. We're like everything is different now. Oh my <laughs> gosh, yeah. We'll, we'll see. But I hope that this was at least an interesting conversation, especially for people who are, again, just like getting into the game and like starting to explore, have taken a look at a, seen a bunch of maybe cards for the first time in this podcast and are um, maybe just starting to think, you know, like what, what aspects do you like? What style of gameplay are you interested in exploring in your gameplay and, and just kind of getting a feel for like, how do you, how do you, you know, how do you approach this system hero, heroism versus villainy? two aspects versus mono aspect. Um, we talked about a lot of, I think we talked about a lot of mono aspect, but you know, there's a lot of really strong options ignoring these, these aspect legendaries and just playing with the access to which two of those, uh, of those four different kind of core aspects do you think will be the best play style for you in particular? And, and you make a really good point. We really kind of talked about mono, but if we talked about all the, splashing and combinations this could have went three you know three and a half hours so really it was kind of just to get everybody kind of comfortable what we're thinking about the the aspects where we're, we're what aligns with what we do and hopefully to kind of shed some light on some of these cards and what we're excited to do with them and hopefully you guys will share what you're excited to do with this, these cards um either in the comments or on social media or in our discord because i'm really excited to uh, learn what everybody's doing consume all the content and just really excited to just finally start playing i'm i'm close to getting online and messing with it, but i really i don't know man i just i'm just waiting to have the the the, the card in hand kind of thing yeah yep there's nothing there's no replacing cards in hand man it's like it's the tactile feel we love it and 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 i don't think there's any replacing episode three galactic ambition part of the main tech podcast family i think we had another rousing successful episode dan um i'm really excited for getting this out there i hope everyone enjoys listening to it um we're gonna be back in two weeks um really excited to talk about whatever we're going to talk about next uh just as a quick aside i really enjoy reading the comments i really like answering each comment myself and just getting out there and talking to you guys so if on whatever platform, leave us a comment, drop us a line, let us know what you think. Thank you so much for listening to us this week. And for everybody at Main Deck, for, for me, for Dan, I want to wish you all a very happy rest of your week. And we'll see you soon. Take care. Bye. Bye.